0: Man, you guys pumped these guys are here. I am. It's going to be a good weekend, y'all. It's going to be a good weekend. Hey, real quick, quick, uh, quick matter of business. I realized that I brought two hats out here earlier and only threw one out. Does so anybody want a hat real fast? You. Great. No idea where that went. So, so, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. Your mission is out there. Say my mission. Your mission is out there. Training starts here. Your mission. That's what we're talking about this weekend. We're here to talk about your mission, but I want to back up just a little bit. I feel like we need to. I think that it's probably important that we back up because I don't think that we can really properly understand what our mission is. Discover what our mission is if we don't fully understand the mission of the one who's sending us. You know what I mean? The mission of Christ that is. So I want to back up just a little bit tonight before we get to exactly what our mission is. And I want to talk about what that might be. Uh, I, I grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma, a little town just... Okay. Okay. <laughs> just random cheers. I think you're the same one that cheered for Cincinnati earlier, so I'm not sure what to do with you. Uh, we have, um, so, so I grew up in a little town uh, uh, called Muscogee, Oklahoma, which is about two hours straight south of here. My Nana and Papa, they lived in Wichita, Kansas, okay? So that was about, yeah, that was about, that was about four hours from here. Um, but just uh, not too long ago, a few, a few years ago, I suppose, my Nana and Papa moved here to Joplin, Missouri. So I think my Nana's actually here um, tonight. If you're, an, if you're a, a high school student, you probably don't know her. If you're a college student, you probably know my Nana as sweet Judy or the Friday ice cream lady. That's my Nana. Uh, so she lived, so, so she was in Wichita. That's about four hours from where I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. We love Nana. Uh, and then, uh, and then my Grammy and Papa, they grew up, they, they lived in Rolla, Missouri. So just about, yeah, yeah. So just about, just about, just about five hours from where I was, but my me mom, Papa, right. You're keeping track my Mima and Papa they just lived on the other side of town now my mima and papa they weren't actually my mima and papa you know they were they were this 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 lady named Anita and her husband Mac and Anita and Mac they were they went to the church where both my parents worked there in there in Muskogee uh, and and we were you know anybody have family like this it's not really family you know, have like an aunt that's not really an aunt or an uncle it's not really an uncle so I had a mima and papa that weren't really my mima and papa but we called them mima and papa they may as well have been mima and papa for us and so because we were friends with their kids and we were friends with their grandkids and so they just kind of adopted our family and so. Every Easter, we would go over there, and we'd have Easter lunch there. We'd always go, we'd always go over to their house, and we'd play in their house, and we'd play hide-and-go-seek in their big house. When I say big house, I mean big house. It was like this big, like, red brick mansion of a house, like, has an elevator in it, kind of a house. And it was just an amazing house. We'd go over there, and we'd hang out, and they were they're, they're these just amazing, unbelievable people. And the time that we spent the most at Memom and Papa's was in the summertime. Because every summer from my whole life, from literally before I can remember until I graduated high school, we went over to me, mom, Papa's house on Tuesdays and on Thursdays, and we swam in their gigantic pool that they had every Tuesday and Thursday of every summer of my whole life. And we did everything. You know, we, we, we were there all the time, so we, made, so we played all the games. You know, what are, the, what, are, what are the games? We played Sharks and Minnows. You know, we played Marco Polo. We played Flip or Dive. What are the other ones? What are the other, what are other games you play? Yeah, I hear categories a lot. Sure, yeah, we probably played categories too. We played all kinds of games. We even made up some of our own games. Me and some of my buddies made up a game called Sting or Swim. Here's how Stinger Swim works. It's pretty easy. But to know, but to grasp the concept of the game, you have to picture Mima and Papa's pool with me. So it's this big pool, and it's surrounded on three sides by gardens. Just these beautiful flowering gardens, okay? That are like, they're just these tall, gorgeous flowers on three sides. And so Stinger Swim was really a really pretty simple game. You would just go over, we took one of the fly swatters, there's always a bunch of fly swatters over there, and we'd take one of the fly swatters, and we'd go over to some of the flowers, and we'd try to find some kind of winged insect with a stinger on it. And you go and you find what, yeah, some of you are ahead of me. And so you go over to the flowers and you find something, a bee, a hornet, a yellow jacket, a wasp, whatever it is, you go and you find it and the object is not to kill it, okay? That's not the goal. The goal is just to kind of provoke it a little bit, you know what I mean? Just to kind of, just to kind of give it a little poke, you know, just give it a little, give it a little flick with the fly. The goal is to get it mad enough that it wants to sting you, all right? And so once you have the wasp or whatever it is mad enough that it wants to sting you, it gets up and it starts to chase you. And now you have to get back to the pool. But there's a catch. You can't get into the pool. You can't get into the side of the pool that you're the closest to. So if you're doing this by the shallow end, you have to run all the way to the deep end before you can get in. And if you make it into the pool, you win. If you get, if you get stung, you lose. It's a pretty simple game. You know what I mean? You win some, you lose some. That's what makes it a good game. Right? High stakes. We love that one. That was when I was a little bit older, though. Um, and I, I wish I could say that my habit for playing games that weren't necessarily great for me didn't start at a much younger age, but it actually did. I can remember one time at me mom Papa's pool and I was hanging out in the shallow end. I don't know how old I was, actually, to be honest. I must have been pretty little because I didn't know how to swim yet. I learned to swim at a pretty young age, but I didn't know how to at this point. So I'm hanging out in the shallow end with the rest of the kids that don't know how to swim fun bunch we were and so we're hanging out i'm hanging out in the shallow end and i do all the things that you can do in the shallow end and there's not that many of them you know I mean, you can whoosh, blow your out and go down and have a tea party you know the one you can do that you can do like the front flip uh you can do the back flip you can do the you know like the slow motion fighting the mortal combat moves that you can't do in real life but you can do underwater you know the ones but eventually I'd exhausted all those and I got kind of bored of the tea parties and the front flips and the back flips and the Mortal Kombat moves. And so I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do next. And then I had this thought. I wonder how far into the deep end I can go before I have to turn around and come back. I wonder, how, yeah, anybody ever been down this road? So I start to, yeah, right. So you know how it ends. So, so I get a little bit closer and I kind of just like, you know, and I make my way, you know what I mean, like a doggy pad on my way over to the rope, you know, and it's that white and blue rope and it's got the little buoys on it and I go over to it and I, you know, pull it up on this side of me. Okay. And I feel like I'm pretty safe because it's not like a straight drop off. It's a slope that goes down into the deep end. You know what I mean? So I just want to know how far down that slope I can go before I need to come before I need to come back. And so I take like my first step, you know, and we're doing okay. Then I take my next step, and we're still doing okay. I got that chin-up thing, you know, that you can do, and you can still kind of stay up. And then I take my third step, and by this step, I can still kind of keep my head above water if I do the chin-up thing and the hop-on-one-toe thing that you do, you know what I mean, when you're trying to keep your chin above water? So I can still do that, and then I take my last step, okay? My, my, my last step over, and I can no longer keep my, my head above water. I can no longer take a breath, even if I do the chin-up-hop-on-one-foot thing, and I know that I've gone far enough. I've gone too far. And I'm not panicking because this was the point of the game. You know what I mean? I wanted to know how far I could go before I had to come back and I have found it. This is too far. (laughs) This is the point of no return that I was seeking. And so I get there and so I'm like, oh good. Well, I found it. Time to head back. So I turn around towards the shallow and then I start to take a step back, but there's a problem. Turns out that pool liners on a slope are pretty slick. And so instead of just walking up the slope, my foot just slips. It's so slick, in fact, that the harder I push my foot down, the harder I try to climb up, the more my foot slips, and the further down the slope I go. And so now I'm reaching up for a rope, and it's not there. I'm reaching for the side of the pool, and it's not there. Now I am starting to panic. As I go deeper and deeper into the deep end. I'm like, well, this is much too far. And I, can, and, I, and I can remember taking this like huge like gulp of water just before some hand reaches down and grabs my wrist and drags me up towards the shallow end and then rolls me up along with somebody else. It was my friend Katie and her and somebody else rolled me up onto the side of the pool and I, can remember, and I, and I coughed up water and I threw up until I could finally get a breath of fresh air. And I can see, like, in hindsight, I can see why that's dumb. You know what I mean? Like, looking back, I'm like, okay, how far is too far in the pool? Not a great game. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, not, the, not the brightest game. In fact, I can look back and I can just see all the logical fallacy that, that is the line of thinking. Let's find the point of no return. That's dumb because the point of no return is, a, by definition, a point where you can no longer return. Right? So it's a dumb game to play. And here's the thing. I wish so badly that I could stand here today and tell you that I learned my lesson. (laughs) I mean I guess I kind of did to some degree, you know what I mean? I didn't like ever play like find the point of no return in the shallow end and the deep end of Mima's pool ever again. I didn't I didn't I didn't do that. I guess what I just mean to say is that I wish that I wish that I had somehow had the wherewithal, somehow had the presence, somehow been able to take that concept and apply it to other areas of my life. You know what I mean? Like I wish that when I was 15 I wish when I was 15 I would have been able to just kind of like step outside of myself and go, now 15 year old Lane Um, that temptation that you're experiencing right now, that desire, that sinful desire to sacrifice the things that you know to be true and the things that you know you should be doing so you can blend in with that group of people a little bit more. Well, that's not unlike that time you were five and you were in Mima's pool and you decided to see how far is too far into the deep end. You know what I mean? But I was never able to do that. And so I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that my life actually became pretty full of those same kind of moments. The same kind of moments where I just wanted to push it a little bit. You know what I mean? Just test the boundaries of what was safe and really test the boundaries of what was holy. And over and over again, I'd find myself unable to pull myself back to safety. Needing something, needing someone. We do that, don't we? I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I still continue to do that to this day, but I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. We have something in us, this tendency to just to keep push, just to keep pushing. One more step. One more step. A little bit further. Let me just see, let me just see how far I can go before I can always turn around and go back, right? And then before we know it, just keeping our head above water is something more than we can handle. And we need something bigger than us, something other than us to come free us, to come rescue us. The good news is that scripture tells us that that is precisely Christ's mission. Luke 19.10, he says it himself. Jesus says it. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that's deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. John 3.16, some of you have heard this before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have what? Everlasting life. That is Christ's mission. That's the good news, and we don't have to stop there. I mean, we could keep going over and over and over. This book is full of, this book tells us that over and over and over again, but it doesn't just tell us that, it shows us that. This book is also full of stories of Jesus doing exactly that. One of my favorite ones comes from Mark chapter 5. If you've got Bibles or apps or whatever, you can go there if you want to. That's kind of where we're going to be. I want to be in Mark chapter 5, but... In order to kind of set the stage, I want to take a step back into chapter four for just a second. So I want to set the, I want to kind of just set the scene, all right? So Jesus is, Jesus is kind of exhausted. He and his disciples, they've had a long day. He's been teaching for a long time, teaching these different groups of people, this huge crowd of people, and he's exhausted. It's, that's, that's a tiring thing to do all day. And so at, at sunset in the evening, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So they do. They get in the boat. They start to head out to the other side of the lake. And Jesus, like I said, he's tired. And so he just kind of like curls up in one of the boat on this cushion. And he just is like, man, I'm going to just close my eyes for a little bit, you guys. And he takes a nap. And while he's napping, this storm kicks up, right? Some of you may have heard this story before. This storm kicks up, and it's not just like a little storm, it's a huge storm. Waves are crashing over the sides of the boat, and it's such a big storm that these guys that have spent a lot of their time on the lake, they've spent a lot of their time in a boat, and they are actually afraid for their lives. So much so that they actually, at one point, finally wake Jesus up, and they're like, Jesus, aren't you even worried that we're all going to drown? Don't you even care that we're all going to drown here? And Jesus looks at him and he says, why do you have so little faith? Looks around at the storm and he shushes it. Looks at the waves, looks at the wind, looks at the lightning, the rain, and he just says, peace, calm down. And it does. And that's pretty amazing. So amazing in fact that when the disciples who had been following Jesus around for a while now saw this happen, you know what their response was? It says they were terrified they were terrified oh they were terrified of the storm but you know what was even scarier the power that was greater than the storm and Jesus' power is greater than the storm they were terrified and they looked at each other and said who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him now, I don't know if you've ever been in a boat during a storm. Anybody ever been in a boat during a storm? I haven't, actually, but I imagine that it's not unlike being in a plane during turbulence, right? I've been in a plane during turbulence before. I was recently on a flight from uh, from Phoenix to Dallas, and for whatever reason, there was just crazy turbulence. It was insane. Like, it was more turbulence than I've ever experienced before. It was one of those ones where the pilot's just like, everybody, please sit down and buckle up. We're going to be experiencing some turbulence. And he couldn't have understated it any more than he than he did, you know? And so we're flying, and it's one of those ones where all of a sudden you're you're dropping several feet, then you're raising several feet, then you're dropping several feet. And I have one of those seats where I can see the wings and the wings are like going like this, like they're trying to keep up. You know, that's terrifying. Like if flying is a war on gravity, we're definitely losing. And it's just like, and so like we're dropping, we're coming up and people are screaming and people are gasping and people are trying to calm down and everything's shaking and magazines are flying up in the air. And here's what's funny about that is that even when you come out of that, even when you come out of turbulence and all of a sudden everything's peaceful, And you can see the sun because you're out of the clouds. And you're you're flying smoothly again. You want nothing more than to get your feet back on solid ground. You know what I mean? Even so, it's just like, "Mm, not peaceful enough. Get me to the airport, please. And so all you want to do is you want to land, you get out, you get out on the jetway, you get to the airport, and you could kiss the terminal ground for the safety and the security that it provides. You know what I mean? And I have to imagine that the disciples were kind of the same way here. So when they pull up on the eastern shore of the lake and they get out, I can't imagine that they could get out of the boat soon enough. You know, It's like, yeah, the the storm's done. It's peaceful. That's great. But that was crazy town. It's time for us just to get out and get on dry land for a little while. Somewhere that's safe and secure. They'll leave behind the dangers of the boat. Leave behind the dangers of the water a little bit. And that's where chapter 5 picks us up says this they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat a man with an impure spirit um, came from the tombs to meet him. A man with an impure spirit. So, a man who was demon possessed came from the tombs to meet them. Okay? So, they pull up to the shore and the disciples are just like, oh my God, thank goodness we're actually out on dry land. You know, and they get out and they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, this is a graveyard. You know? And so, they look around and there's some tombs and then all of a sudden, there's this guy that lived in the tombs and the rest of the, and the next few verses tells us a little bit more about him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had been chained off in hand and foot but he tore the chains apart broke the irons on his feet and no one was strong enough to subdue him day and night among the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones luke's account of the same story tells us that he was also naked so here you have them finally getting out of the boat. They're on dry land, and all of a sudden, from out of the tombs comes this naked, bleeding man with chains around his legs and chains around his around his arms. And he comes and he's running towards them and he's screaming at them. And if I'm the disciples, I'm like, no, nope, back in the boat, back in the boat, back in the boat, back in the boat. <laughs> well, to the storm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I- <laughs> But Jesus just stands there and Jesus looks at the guy and he calls the impure spirit. He says, come out of that man, you impure spirit. And so the man runs to Jesus and he falls down on his knees right in front of Jesus. And he says this, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God in God's name? Don't torture me. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said this. My name is Legion, for we are many. And if I wasn't scared before, I am now. Because there's not just one demon in this dude, there's many. A Legion was a section of the Roman army that had about 6,000 soldiers. I don't know if there's 6,000 demons in this guy or not, but it doesn't matter. There's more than one, and that's plenty. Okay. And so he says, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area chapter 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a a nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them and he gave them permission Jesus is more powerful than the demons he's more powerful than the storm he's more powerful than the demons he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went to the pigs, the herd about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned Yes, and this is one of my favorite parts. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. Those tending the pigs. Can you imagine being one of those guys? Being one of the people in charge of tending the pigs? You know, and you're just like standing there, hanging out with the pigs. 2,000 pigs. And all of a sudden, you see kind of down on the other side, the crazy guy comes out to get out know his name. We'll call him Dave, Crazy Dave. <laughs> and they're standing there, and they're like, What's Who's that? Oh, it's crazy, Dave. What's he making a fuss about again? And he goes over and there's this strange guy gets out of a boat and he's talking and he falls down. He's like, what's he doing? Nobody knows what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, all 2,000 of your pigs rush off the cliff and drown in the lake. <laughs> Man, dad's going to be mad at us, <laughs> you know, and dad's, dad's like, what happened to my pigs? are like, it was the demons. You know what I mean? He's like, there's no good answer for what just happened. He's crazy, Dave. All our pigs are dead. But it tells us what they did next. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And when the people went out to see what had happened, they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Here comes the people from the town. Here comes the crowd that had tried so hard to contain this guy. They tried. They chained him up. They tried, to com- they tried to contain him. It says that they tried to, the word is tame. They tried to tame him. They tried everything they could. They tried to send him as far away as they could, and they couldn't. He just kept coming back and back, and they were completely powerless. And here he is, sitting at Jesus' feet, It says, clothed. I wonder how long it had been since they had seen him clothed. No chains. I wonder how long it had been since they saw him without chains. And in his right mind. This man. This man. Shackled to shame. Shackled to sin. Beyond hope. Beyond anything he could control. You talk about the point of no return finds freedom and a power that is greater than his chains. The power of the gospel of Jesus. When I read this story, I really there there are two people here. There are two there are two responses to what Jesus does here. And I have a feeling that those two people are in this room. that most of us could fall into one of two categories. Both people have chains. Both people are powerless to control them. Both people in desperate need of a power greater than their chains. The first is the demon-possessed guy. It's Crazy Dave. And here he is. Sinful. Shameful. Broken. Lost. And I have a feeling that there's those of us in here that identify with that, right? I mean, maybe we're not, you know, naked and bleeding and roaming the hills, cutting ourselves and yelling out. That's junior high getaway stuff. This is the, you know, this is the event. Maybe we're not doing that. I mean, the truth is that we tend to mask it a little bit better than that. You know what I mean? We tend to mask it because we can smile really well. Man, we go to youth group all the time. We can sing the song super loud. We can even dance a little bit man, we can pray a pretty good prayer. But the truth is, the truth is that the harder you try, the harder that you struggle against your chains, the tighter and tighter they get. And you're desperate for a power that is greater than your chains to set you free. So you can be like this man. So you can be like this man and find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Blameless. Free from your chains. Old preacher Eugene Lowry says it best when uh, he identified with this guy. and he said, he said, it feels like there are 6,000 soldiers inside me. Sometimes they all march left, sometimes right, sometimes in all different directions and I'm pulled one way and then another. There's an army inside me and I think I'm losing the war. If it feels like there's an army inside you and you're losing, if you can see yourself in this man, then my prayer for you tonight is that you would know that the power of of the gospel is for you. That you would know tonight that Jesus' mission, that Christ's mission to seek and save the lost is for you. That there is a power that is greater than your chains. That He took your chains to the cross and bore them so you don't have to bear them anymore. And you can be presented, Scripture tells us this you can be presented before the Father blameless and without fault because, for, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Here's the problem. I think that most of the time the majority of us are like the crowd we're like the people from the town who come in to see what's going on, they've heard these reports so they come in and they see what's going on and they find this guy, they find this guy sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind and it says, when they came, they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told them about the pigs as well. And so the people began to plead with Jesus. See, because they had a problem too, right? In a lot of ways, this guy's demons was their demons. You know what I mean? And they tried everything they could to get rid of him. They tried to banish him as far away as they possibly could, but they couldn't. They needed something bigger. They needed something more powerful than those chains. And they didn't have anything. Enter Jesus. And he gives them everything that they thought they wanted. To be rid of this, to be done with this, because they tried it by themselves, but every time they tried, the chains just got tighter, and they just kept coming back and kept coming back. And man, that's the story of my life. So here comes Jesus. He casts out the demons. He heals this man. Breaks his chains. And the people see this and they plead with Jesus to leave their region. To get back in his boat and to go away. I mean, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. They finally get what they've been longing for. They finally get the freedom from the chains. They finally get the freedom from the oppression and the weight that's been pressing them down. And they plead with Jesus to leave because they can't handle the cost. I don't know what they're afraid of, maybe losing a few more pigs. And I think that we're more like them than we are this other guy, to be honest, most of the time because we plead with Jesus and we plead that we can be free from these chains and, and our secrets and our shame and whatever it is that we have and we plead and we plead and we plead and then we come face to face with Jesus and then we look around at what it's going to cost us and all of a sudden we get scared what are you afraid of it's costing you? maybe popularity? That's something that people say a lot, but honestly, I doubt that's really it. You know, I don't think we're really afraid of losing popularity. Maybe a couple of friends, but not really popularity. If you're anything like me, you're afraid of losing the facade. You're afraid of the people sitting to the left and the right of you seeing that you actually still have chains. I was. I spent most of my life trying to hide those chains from everyone around me. I didn't trust the power that was greater than the chains. I didn't trust the church. I didn't trust my youth group. They'd never given me any reason not to. I was just afraid. Afraid of people not believing, not believing that I had it all together. So every time I was confronted with this power that was greater than the chains, every time that I was confronted with Jesus, when I came face to face with Jesus, and I, and I could get everything that I had been asking for, that I had been longing for, I just politely asked Jesus to get back in his boat. And to leave me with what's more comfortable. Is that you? Is this guy? His name is Calvin Stowe. Most people don't know his name because when they hear the last name Stowe, they actually hear it attached to his wife's name, Harriet Beecher Stowe. She wrote the anti-slavery novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin. And uh, while she was touring England for her book, he was touring with her and he was doing some preaching because speaking out against slavery, it turns out, was kind of a family affair for the Stows, And so she was touring around for her book and he was touring around preaching. And while he was at this one gathering that was there for anti-slavery day there in England, they were there to celebrate the abolishment of slavery in England. There's this whole crowd gathered to celebrate and as they're gathered there to celebrate, he preaches a sermon to them. And in that sermon, he calls them all hypocrites. Like, wait a minute, why are we, why are we hypocrites? We, uh, slavery's been abolished in England for years. How could you call us hypocrites? And he says, true, it's been abolished in England, but you know where it's not? America. There's still slavery in America. And 80% of the cotton that's being picked there by slaves is being bought here in England by you. So do you want to abolish slavery? Well then, he asked them, will you give up one penny of your profits? Will you give up one penny of your profits in order to abolish slavery? Consider the cost to get what you've been wanting, to get what you say you've been longing for. Consider the cost and are you willing to do it? Are you willing to give up even one penny of your profits? And they booed him off stage. So my question tonight is just this. What if, what if we stopped being afraid? What if we looked around at what Jesus offers? This power that's greater than these chains. And we looked around at what it's going to cost us. I don't know. Maybe you're afraid of your family not understanding. Maybe you're afraid of your future plans. Maybe you're afraid of losing a couple of friends or the people sitting next to you realizing that maybe you don't quite have it all together. What if tonight we just stopped being afraid? What if we looked at all that, we looked at what Jesus offers and we thought, you know what? Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. What if we leaned in tonight to a power that's greater than the chains? What if we leaned into a youth group who loves you, who doesn't judge you, who wants to walk with you towards new life? I think if we were to do that, I think you'd find hope. I think you'd find freedom. I think you'd find new life. And there I think you'd find your mission. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're just going to sing some songs together. We're going to worship this God who is greater than our chains, who's more powerful than our chains, who's more powerful than shame, who's more powerful than, than, than sin and than secrets. And while we do that, if you want to, I am just want to give you a chance. There's these, there's these wooden beams up here on both sides of the stage, and on them are just some of these chains. We just want to give you a chance to just kind of respond to Jesus a little bit. And if you want to, you can just kind of come, and you can put your hands under those chains and physically feel the weight that your soul feels. And thank Jesus for taking those chains so you don't have to bear them anymore. Thank Jesus for being the power that is greater than the chains. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much that you are just that. That you are greater than these chains. God, thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to us. To seek and to save us. God, I pray that we would respond to that. God, I just pray that, I just pray that tonight we would, we would hear that anew. That would overwhelm our hearts with the fact that you love us while we're far from you, while we're chained. You call us by our name. God, that because of Jesus, because of the cross, you can be justified we can be presented right before your presence. Amen.